The police came to me when the breath flies me like, we don't honestly know how you actually got out of the car, never mind survive. Hi, this is Matt Duckworth, English guy, just living the dream in America. And this is a new podcast for Heads and Tails of Kevin, and I am privileged to be here today. Thank you. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. All right, welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. This week we're interviewing Matt Duckworth, who is a pro rugby player for uh, Castle for Tigers out of Yorkshire, England. And he's going to tell us his tale of when he was in a car accident during his his pro rugby career where he broke his C3, C4, and C7 uh, vertebrae in his neck and also suffered a stroke. And, you know, he's going to talk about the rehab process and kind of his transition to life after after sports. Um, So, Matt, so can you kind of... Tell us uh, about, you know, your the car accident and then we'll, we'll kind of yeah, get into your rugby um, career. So I had a week off. We had a week off training. We had a week off games. So I went down. You were there. 19 years old, you said? 19, yeah. Just went to the bottom of England. It's like a coastal region. Um, and I was driving back on a Thursday. So I came back a day early um, because I had training and we had a game on the Saturday. So I was driving back and I'd been driving for about five hours. Um, I went to pull into one of the lanes and next thing I know I ended up 60 feet in the field because um, another vehicle had hit me in the side. So did you ever lose consciousness like no, during put, the I was, car accident? I was, it was adrenaline running through me. Uh, my best friend, James, he was next to me in the car. Um, and how was he? He, he? he went, he was pretty much, he was just shaking up. He went home two days later with just a cut on his hand. And wow. they always say the passenger comes off worse in these accidents, but... Unfortunately, I came. Well, not unfortunately. Yeah, fortunately, fortunately and me, unfortunately, yeah. yeah I, uh, <laughs> I was one that came off a lot worse um, at the time. I remember, like, remember yesterday, we going over the barrier or through the barrier down the down the hill. Um, I could hear him shouting, "Matt!" Next thing I know, the car was on its side, um, and I was like, "Damn! Like, what is that?" Right. So he managed. He crawled out. He got out perfectly fine, and the, as you can imagine, the car was on its side with the passenger side in the air. Yeah. So I was stuck there with my seatbelt, and at this point, I was panicking to find the eject your seatbelt because I thought the it car would set catch fire. a fire. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, when in fact it doesn't have a switch on it, it has a switch on the engine. So gotcha. The airbags never even deployed either because of the angle that the car was it was impacted. Yeah, or whatever. the airbags didn't come out. But as we know, airbags can do more damage than sometimes good in yeah. some scenarios. Um, so there I was just sitting in the car and I was shouting James, well, his name's James Pegg. So we'd called him Pegg and he came back in and let me out. Now at this point, I literally adrenaline was running through me. So I managed to clamber out the car. Now being a professional sportsman at the time, um, you're fully fit. Like you're a fit guy. You have to be a fit guy. Right. And I managed to get out of the car. But this is with it. a broken neck though. So like, I didn't know at the time you see. Yeah. But could you have like adrenaline with the, I was so pumped. Um, I literally landed on the bonnet of the car because that had gone. Um, next thing I know, adrenaline was running through me. So I was like, ah. So I got a really bad shooting pain through my neck. And obviously, when you get a painful neck, you'll put both hands around your neck to secure the straight position. So I looked across. There was a lady and a child. They was perfectly fine standing out of the car. They're the ones that hit you? That was one that hit me in the side. Um, the next thing I know, I was on the floor. Um, they shut the M6 toll road off in England. This is near, near Birmingham, if anybody's familiar with England. Um, it's a big, long stretch of road. It leads to where I live in Derbyshire. 
Um, the air ambulance came, a guy called Ian, paramedic came, cut my shirt off, and injected me, um, said you'll be fine. Next thing I know, I was in Heartlands Hospital in Birmingham, which is actually the central point of England. It's one of the biggest cities. Um, took me down, all the paramedics, nurses all came clambering around me. The police officer wanted to breathalyze me. Obviously, I didn't really drink being a professional. So right. that was fine because I was on holiday. Plus, you were the one that got hit. It wasn't like... Exactly, but they still have to do it because until you're innocent, no, you're guilty until you're innocent. Kind of, it's not innocent until right. proven guilty. It's you're guilty until you're proven innocent. Right, exactly. So... He breathalyzed me, um, and then at this point, they actually wanted to call my mom and dad. And obviously, when you're a guy, you're the last person you want to speak to. I says, listen, don't ask my mom, right. whatever you do. <laughs> Who picks up the phone? Your mom. Mom picks up the phone. Um, so at this point, her and dad just shoot down to Birmingham. They see me, just blood all over me, just cut scrapes. So did they, like, spine board you and stuff? I was spine boarded like... onto the uh, air ambulance. I was spine boarded in hospital. I literally couldn't move. I was just... I don't know, it was, it was the weirdest feeling. So it was like a superpower that like gave you the strength to get out of the car. I, would, I wouldn't, I yeah, you couldn't. Mm, and then once you got out of the car, you couldn't move? Or? No, when I got out of the car, literally, I got up and I lied down. But unfortunately, I lied down on them prickly, like metal things on the floor. I was like, oh, damn. So, oh, like nerves? Yeah, or? yeah. Oh, so okay. I, I lied down on one of them. Next thing, I was just on the spinal board for a while. I was literally lying in there. And I was in a helicopter. I was in a air helicopter to hospital. You remember your helico- your helicopter ride? Yeah, it's funny you should say that because the lady that actually saw me, um, she says, "What was your helicopter ride like?" I says, "Oh, it's great looking at plastic roof all the way." Oh yeah, because can't look can't, out the window. They yeah. can't look after the window, but I, knew I was, was in a helicopter too, but I don't remember one bit of it. So I, I, I remember <laughs> it was noisy, and I was getting a bit of a headache in there, and obviously I was sweating vigorously because. Yeah, I, your body was like in it was uh, distress. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was no idea what was going on. Um, so I got to hospital, wouldn't constant MRI scans, constant attention because the police came to me when they breathalyzed me. Like we don't honestly know how you actually got out of the car, never mind survived. With how bad your neck with was. how bad I was and the state I was in and the the fact I showed you pictures of the car, didn't I? Yeah. How bad? I'll put those big, up in the show notes if you send those. To yeah, me. perfect. And how bad the car was actually damaged, and it was like. I don't know myself, and with my parents, it was quite religious. Like, um, quite a long story short, my dad he passed away this year on Father's Day. Sorry to hear that, man. Yeah, don't worry about it. Um, obviously, things happen in life. Yeah, I mean, but unfortunately, was, we're all gonna die at some point. Exactly, so. and yeah. he and my parent mum believe that it wasn't my time to go, and I was really close to my grandfather, and they think that. Yeah, they they, they think they, they point two two to go. Yeah. yeah, they well, when it's your time, it's your time. Right. And that probably wasn't my time to go. Yeah. So I was in hospital for four weeks. Um, two and a half of these weeks, I was just lying there in the bed because I literally couldn't move after suffering a stroke. It was like every morning I'd have to have drink strength tests and right. stretching tests. So when did this, like, when did the stroke thing come about? Was that like it an was, immediate thing? No, to- no, because every day they'd come and test me and it was getting the strength was there and it was getting fine. Obviously, I'd suffered a big stress to my Right, because honestly, like, I guess there's probably similar ailments from a stroke as there is to like a spinal cord injury too so like exactly yeah it's probably hard to decipher the two in that that's what they was thinking they were thinking i was weak right like, normally i'm weighing in just over 200 pounds in hospital i went down to 180 and i've been in 180 pounds since i was about 13 years old yeah <laughs> um because they make us big boys but it's the fact that they came and one day my mom came to hospital and my granddad suffered a stroke and she could see I was talking out the side of my mouth and my speech was slurred. And she was like, 
she confronted the head doctor and she says, there's something not right here because he's talking out the side of his mouth and he wasn't previously to this. Right. So they rushed me in for an MRI scan and real and saw that I'd suffered an aneurysm, which is a stroke as like I suffered a stroke. So the left side of my body wasn't reacting as well as my right side. So I was temporally paralyzed, which I showed you the other week. Now I have that nerve damage. You can tell in my muscle from my calf to my left calf, right. how soft my left is to my right. And yeah. When I'm squatting or doing any sort of activity, you kind of favor one side. Exactly. When I'm running, for example, my sneaker is always worn more on my left side than my right side. Interesting. Because I don't pick my leg up as much as I do. Yeah, the other one. So I've compensated it in that way. But going back to being in hospital, I will literally had to walk, learn how to balance, walk, just walk up steps, stand on one leg again. So what again. what did that feel like when you had to go through that? Going from being, you know, you're 19, right? Not you're the world at my feet. A professional athlete. You know, like the peak of your physical prowess, I guess. And now you can't do half the things that you, you know, did it, before. It actually put me into a really depressive state. Um, I'd suffer, like, I was deemed, not many people know this, but I did have uh, attributes of bipolar because one minute I'd be high and the next minute I'd be so low. And, and this is snapping. before the injury or this after? This is during and during, during and after okay. the injury. Like, I so was, you were diagnosed with bipolar? Yeah, I was... I was really bad like I was really went into a depressive state um because that year I was due to go get a new contract and become get better. paid yeah no I get I was getting paid I know but like get paid paid yeah paid paid That's paid like I mean, yeah. become <laughs> a full get a longer extension on a full-time right, contract right, right. yeah um, that's what I meant so obviously they didn't know what was going on with me I didn't know what was going on with me but the fact that I went away on a boy's holiday it wasn't a drinking holiday because I still had to be disciplined, but it was a social aspect. Right. And there's a the fact that my parents advised, this is, we don't think you should go, but being Oh, they a said that before you went? They said that before I went. They just said I shouldn't go, but me being a 19-year-old boisterous guy. Yeah, of course. Um, You make these decisions and you have to stick by your decision. Now, yeah. I went and that was it and I didn't come back for a, a month. So are you saying that so like how was the support from your team during this time oh fantastic um we was, due, we was playing on fox sport on the saturday against warrington which is cheshire which is manchester and like even the commentators and stuff was um sending me get wells and there was a big get well card from all the fans that used to come right. to watch the game and boys would come and visit me in hospital even it was like two hours away and, and, and that come. helped you yeah because i knew i knew along the club at castleford is it's a really family, it's a close, tight club. Um, and I still support them to this day. Like, they're my team. Right. I still have friends playing for them now. Well, how did it feel when, like, did their doctor ever say, like, you can't ever play rugby again? Yeah, they said they wouldn't advise me playing again. This was, uh, like, when you were in the when hospital? When I was in hospital. Um, so, like, what what was going through your head when, when he said that or she said that? I'll play again. Yeah? Yeah, I'll be like, I'll play again. Because my dad always said, you get out what you put in. Right. If I think to myself I can go play again, then I'll go play again. So I was at first I was skeptical because my first session back in the gym. So we'll skip forward. So I was in hospital for a month. My dad actually bought me a like a spin bike. Okay. So I'd sit on that for two hours a day, just just on like a stationary just bike. on a stationary bike, watching TV with a net brace on. My mom she'd change my pads because I had spare pads because I'd be sweaty. Uh, okay. Um, so it was really difficult taking it off because I'd have to keep it on all the time. Um. And life was difficult with a net brace on, as you can imagine, sleeping, walking, even the crossing the sidewalk, you'd have to literally physically move your body both ways because right. you're in a stiff position. Um, so even taking the net brace off, I had to be careful. 
So they do that for me. Um, the parents was great. Then it just all rolled into one. But my first session back in the gym, I couldn't even lift a 15 pound dumbbell. And that was the most frustrating part, even getting back onto the treadmill. Right. I tried to run. I had no physical capability of running. I was like, damn, this is more serious than I thought. I thought my mentality, I could go back straight into the deep end and I couldn't. So were you like questioning if you could still go back to rugby Absolute, at that point? Absolutely. Not running every day. Yeah. Before that, to getting on the treadmill and not being able to run for 10 seconds without the imbalance in the muscles. And I was like, damn, like this could really. So offend. did you work with like a physical therapist? Or yeah. We, a physiotherapist? The, yeah. At the club, we had a fantastic, like I had physiotherapy because in England, we have the NHS, so we have the National Health Service, okay. which is not like the States. You Say if you break your leg today, you can walk in and you'll get an operation on your leg if you need an operation. Gotcha. Um, not if you have insurance or... No, not. you don't even need insurance because you pay that in your wage. It's called national insurance. Oh, okay. So they pay a contribution to that. So we have a different healthcare system. Thankfully, we do anyway because... Yeah, I think that's... It sounds like a better, uh, it <laughs> a better is, way to do but it. There is more things expensive. Um but yeah, you can go to the National Health Service, NHS, there's hospitals everywhere, and you can go in and they'll, they'll pay. So they put me into a 12-week physiotherapy program where I'd go for three times a week to my local hospital, and I'd work with a physiotherapist there. And they'd have to get the gymnastic balance bars at the side. Yeah, They'd to have help to get me walk. walking with that, or I'd have to go on the stairs and walk with one foot. So you really were like... I was screwed. Yeah. Like, I was, I was so bad. Like, my friends came, all my friends came to see me in hospital, and they they knew that something was drastically wrong, right? Because out of the boys, like one of the mindset, one of the guys, you know, yeah. Um, and obviously playing sports a lot, like everyone sees it, you're a strong guy, but they saw me at In my this lowest. vulnerable state. Yeah. Oh yeah, the, it was really upsetting for them. Um, like the Barbara friends, I've known them since I was two, three years old. Right. Um, and but some they didn't even question it. They was like, he'll come back. Don't worry about it. He always does. And that's the mentality that they had of myself. And I was like, these guys believe in me so much. And right. So that helped you? Yeah. And that spurred me on. But I had physiotherapists for the National Health Service in the hospital. But the club was fantastic. Like, the club was thinking, is he going to make it again? And is he going to come back to play? Like, they was thinking, do we just... So they were, like, rooting for you. They were still paying me. They could have... this Take my contract away. Yeah. But they were still paying me. Um and they had great physiotherapists. I mean, I'd, I mean, that's got, that's awesome because it wasn't like you even got hurt like playing. You know exactly, you, yeah. exactly. And they was they knew it. Well, I don't know if they knew or not, but they carried on paying me my contract. They carried on supporting me all the way through. Right. Um, there was a head physio called Russell Jones. He was absolutely unbelievable with me. He'd work with me. I'd go on a Tuesday and Thursday when I moved back to Castleford. So I lived in Derbyshire and I moved back to Castleford where rugby was. So I lived with my mum and dad for a bit. And he'd go over balance work, work in the gym with me. He'd always give me help and everything because I'd known him since I was 15. It's like a good four or five year relationship. And he he worked with me individually a lot. The club was fantastic. I mean, the chief executive of the club now, um, Steve Gill, he was the head of youth development when he signed me when I was 15. And he stood by me all the way through. That's and awesome. The coaches so there. You were signed when you were 15. You were freaking stud, <laughs> yeah. huh? Nah, it was all right. There was always better players, obviously. They always had friends around me. But it was weird because my background, where I'm from in England, we didn't play rugby league. So Why? Because it's just not a rugby league area. 
Oh, okay. We play rugby union. There's two. There's rugby league and rugby union. What the hell is the difference? Oh, you, you, YouTube it. You'll see. Rugby league is a lot more physical. Okay. All right. So I played both as a kid. All right. So I signed professional rugby league, and my dad used to take me an hour away from home to be able to play for the local rugby league team where I got picked up and they signed me. Gotcha. But we never played it. So going in, I never got a scholarship. Like there's loads of guys with a scholarship. And there's like, it must be 50 guys that went for trials for four weeks. And I was one of five to get a deal. Wow. And then after that, a few guys, they got, they just didn't play anymore because they didn't make the step. And then there was another five of us that got improved contracts after two years. And I was one of these guys. So they saw something in me. So I was like, I'm going to repay these guys as well. I've got to go back and prove that I've still got it. Yeah. And I went back and I went back playing. And it was great. I never really was the same again at the club. As in... So you did get back to playing oh, again. Absolutely. I went yeah. back playing in February. This happened This happened in August. And I went back playing in February. It's not February, too, March. Wow. It's not too bad. Yeah, it's well, a pretty good turnaround. Well, I wasn't meant to be playing the day I played. What happened is I went out for some food with the boys because I was going to support, go watch the team. Yeah. And one of the guys had to drop out due to illness. And my coach, Richard Pell, at the time, says, Matt, what are you doing? <laughs> and I literally had a stomach full of food. He goes, come on, you can start playing again. I was like, mate, I really can't. And he's like, nah, come on, you can do it. So I had to borrow my mate's boot and mate's cleats. I had to get back playing. I went back playing. There was just a massive uproar. And it was like, damn, I'm back playing now. Yeah, so, so what was it like when you actually got back out there? Unbelievable. First training session back before I started playing again because I was only meant to train. Yeah. First session back, Richard Jones, one of the big guys. Um, he high-shotted me by accident. And he was like, Matt, Matt, I'm sorry. And I was like, mate, you've done me a favour. If I can take a headshot around my neck from you... I you can take some, it from anywhere. That was confidence. a confidence boost. Yeah. And I was like, oh, we can do this. So was it a dirty hit or? No, it was just because I stepped in and he just came late with an arm because obviously when you're going one-on-one with somebody, as you know, from football, you'll step them, use a sidestep. Yeah. And then before they can change body position, their arm's out already. And he just caught me around the neck. Oh, so it was like a clothesline yeah, type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. And he was like, oh, sorry, Matt. I was like, mate, you've done me a favor. Yeah. Like, it was great. Then from there on, it was just progressing, progressing, progressing. So every day was literally gym, 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 training. Twice a day is great. I loved it. Twice a day yeah, training? Yeah, I'd train in the morning because obviously I wouldn't be able to work. So I'd go to the gym in the morning and then I'd train in at night as well. So sometimes I got told to cool off a bit, but there was just yeah. something. Yeah, it's the athlete mentality that, like, more is better. So Yeah, I've learned that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've now learned, it doesn't work so much. Yeah, for, now, I'm getting to 20, now I've got to 27. I'm like, oh. Yeah. I'm like, damn, I maybe should cool off a little yeah. bit. I'll maybe put a rest day in there once every month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once a month. Um, before we get too far along, when we talked about, you, you mentioned that you were going to go support your team, but it turned out you actually were going to play. So what was it like to watch your team out there when you, you know, were at that low point you said you were battling like depression and bipolar so like how hard was it for you to watch your team out there kind of go on without you frustrating like the most frustrating thing because these these boys you see nearly every day you drink with them you party with them you train with them you eat with them and it was hard very very hard but I knew everybody on that field had my back and they had confidence in me and even it's not the same, like running the water on and talking to them is not the same as being out there knowing that they've got your back and you've got their back no matter what happens. And it's a frustrating part, but that alone is, if you can turn a negative into a positive, then that for me is, that is that shows you mentality and that shows you that you can go, you can go do something. Awesome. 
it's a great way to look at things. So really, the, because they were supportive of you, that helped yeah. you not feel as bad, I guess? like Yeah, and, and they knew I'd be back. Right. They knew I'd be back. They knew it'd take some time. But they knew what I, they know I'm a bit of a crazy bugger. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. A, they know I'm a bit crazy. So So how long <laughs> did you play for after? The well, I went back playing for two and a half years. Okay. And then I did you uh, like continually feel yourself getting better and better? Like, uh, yeah, I got, I got, I got back into it. like my fitness was through the roof, but there was always a point where like a couple of times I'd take a big hit off a couple of big guys, and I don't know if you know, you know a stinger yeah. when you just get all the pins and needles. Right, it's right. like oh. makes you nervous. Yeah, it does. It's the weirdest feeling that you can get is when somebody when you get the sting, you're like. Damn, what was that? Yeah, I would always get them like just with a really sharp, hard shoulder hit. Yeah, and, like and my whole arm would just like go numb. And it's it's a crazy one. Yeah, it goes away after like a couple of minutes. At but. the time, you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. what was that? Because I never used to get them, but because my left side is more sensitive because I've got nerve damage. Okay, it was quite worrying. It's like when I'm tackling, I'll always try and favor my right because it still feel when we're hitting the shield. You feel stronger. Yeah, but when we're hitting the shield. When I go on my right, so at the start for a warm example, you'll get down and up, you'll do five on your right, five on your left, get your shoulders going. Still, even now, when I go on my left, I feel it's weaker. Yeah. Like, it's not, uh, I can't judge how weak it is. I just don't feel natural. And now, is that from the stroke or is that from? That's from the aneurysm. Right. That's from the side because I feel like, because before I could actually really Right, it's not in. from the, the neck injury. It's it's from, yeah, it's not from the neck injury because obviously the doctors say your bones grow back stronger. Yeah. But it's more from the aneurysm, from the dead nerve. Because gotcha, yeah. even now, you know yourself, even at Sam's working out, the left side always, the hit, the pivot and the hip rotation, I'm always sliding towards my right a bit, which I'm trying to um, still get the balance right. But I've spoken to specialists. They say it'll never come back as good as it was. Right. And to me, that's why I try and do as much as I can every day. So when did you decide to retire from rugby? When I got the job out here. Yeah. When, I, when I came to the States five years ago, because there's more to life. Rugby's only going to be till I'm 30, 32. Let's be serious. It's a realistic career. But when you come, I wouldn't have been able to do what I've done now and achieve what I've done now if it wasn't for that. So really, it could have been a blessing in disguise. But still, like, it's the Rugby League Four Nations final tomorrow against, and that's Australia against New Zealand. But however, there's guys playing for England that I'd know. And that I'd played with, right. that I saw come through the academy, and there's guys playing for Castleford now, that they have been supportive all the way through me, with me for everything, and we still keep in contact. I mean, I've got a good mate, good mates, should I say, at quite a few of the professional clubs in the Super League, in League One, in League Two. Still know quite a lot of coaches, etc. So there's, there's a lot of guys still out there. When I watch them, I'm thinking, damn, I could have been playing with you. Yeah, you think like what could have been, right? Yeah, but when you start to get in that mindset, you know yourself from your injury, the fact that it's, it is a case of case or ass or oh, whatever will be will actually be. Yeah. Um, And you go down the paths you're meant to go down because that's what's selected for you. Yeah, if you start thinking about the woulda, coulda, shouldas, like... Exactly, but this is what my dad used to say to me. So I'll always stick with me, bless him, was if you live in the past, you never move forward. Right. And you don't, and that's and that's the fact of it. If you keep looking back thinking, you're going to drive yourself crazy. Right. Think of the positive that you've come out of this. And to me, there's always somebody worse off than me. For sure, yeah. Like, there is a lot of people worse yeah, off. That's why, that's part of the reason why I did, did the podcast is because, like, it puts things in perspective for you, you know? like It does. The last episode I posted last week 
was a guy named Ben Haro. He's a Green Beret. He lost both of his legs. You know, I've seen in, that, in and he's more. phenomenal. And he's the worst yeah. off of me. And he's been doing that. I've been doing it on the rugby field. I've been doing it in sports. He's battling for his country. Right. You know? And he's and he's still going now. He could have gone into a, a depressive state and thought, this isn't for me. And he did. But, he, you know, he. it's normal to feel that way when you have a piece of your identity, you know, taken away from you. It is, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, especially in a sports culture where you're supposed to be tough and this, you know, fulfill this, like, persona of, like, macho-ness. So it's, like, it's not the cool thing to sit around and, like, sulk for yourself or feel bad for yourself. But I feel like that's the natural thing. It's a part of, like, the grieving process, you know? Well, it's emotion. You're human being at the end of the day. Like, everybody's human. You've got these emotions going through you. People deal with things differently. Right. But it is a case of the strongest will actually survive because if you're going to sit there and be depressive about something that you cannot change and you won't be able to change it. But if you can transition it into something else, right? like from playing rugby, going through the last eight, eight years, I've been through so much. And this year, especially with what's gone on at home with my dad and other big things in my life, then this year has been, this business has been really tough, but I just look back at what's happened and yeah, sometimes I can be a bit ignorant, should I say, towards somebody that will come to me and complain with a cold. But Jesus, like, there's a lot worse things and it can be with a cold, you know? There's a lot mm. bigger things going on in the world. Yeah. And you're cold, you've got to deal with it and move on from it. Because yeah. no one's going to do it for you. Yeah. It's the same in training, you know, yourself when we're at the CrossFit Morristown. The fact that you're going to complete this workout because nobody's going to complete it for you. But yep. you chose to do it. And I have a... There's a coach who I always used to have who's, I can think of him now, Colin Maskell. He used to be a big professional with Lee Rhino. He was like, that is the top team in England. And he was a top player. And he used to be my coach at 18. And we used to have to do pre-season training. And you know what pre-season's like in yeah. football. You've got players vomiting. You've got players coming from exhaustion. And he used to stand behind you laughing and he used to say, it is good for you. You chose the sport. Like, you chose to do this. Yeah. You just got to get up that hill and just do it. Right. Because you'll get the benefit. Yeah, I mean, this reminds me of uh, doing Between the Ears with Bill, which is going to be, this episode will, or Bill's episode will have posted at the point where we post this episode. Um, but it's like, if you, you know what Bill does with the Between the Ears stuff? It's like mental toughness training. Bill, I've met Bill this year, right? This goes out to everybody. I've met Bill. I've joined CrossFit Morristown from CrossFit Garden City. And that guy is an inspiration yeah, man. to what he does. He goes about his thing. He just does it. Um, and we have, like with yourself, coming from, you can't relate to it because he's been in a different scenario yeah. in the military. But some things we can transition into each other, like the mental toughness and the mental battle. Right. To get up when you don't want to get up. Yep. To do that last rep when you don't want to do the last rep. Yep. To be, what should we say? To beat life, like to go through things, because he's he served and he's been through some dangerous right. situations. Yeah, and like for people listening to this, it'll be episode fifty-four that you can go back and listen to Bill's episode. But what I got from doing between the ears and just from what you said, like you chose to be here, right? Yeah. So he he always says engage aggressively. So like you you chose to do this, so now do it aggressively. Don't just go through the motions, you know, and just like survive out there. Like do it with a purpose. And yeah, and like when I've spoken 
when I've spoken to Bill, we've transitioned and we've translated in what we've both been through, and like with yourself, the fact no one's going to pick your ass up, no one's going to do it for you. If you, if you don't do it yourself, then what's left? Yep. Like you've got to carry your own body weight. You've got to carry yourself in a way where people think, "Damn, like you've just you've literally just got to do it." That's the fact of the matter. And to do it with a mental toughness and aggressive state, and to come out of, for example, a workout. And knowing you gave everything you got to that workout and not going home thinking, ah, I could have changed this and I could have changed that. Right. It's pointless. You can do that next time, but that day you should be able to go in there and just do it. Yep. Because like Bill or Carrie Ann's not going to do it for you or LJ. Exactly. They're just going to scream at you and just make you smile. (laughs) Yeah, but it's good to be in like a, a, that kind of team environment like we're used to, like with CrossFit. We're going to get to that. That, yeah, the, beautiful. The CrossFit aspect. Um, so let's talk about your transition to life after rugby. So you said you took a job in in the in the United US. States. So yeah. what 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 do you what do you do now and kind of? You well, know. I'm working in recruitment for a company called the USA Sport Group. Okay. Um, and we do sales. We do everything. We we cover every single sport. We're based in White House Station in New Jersey. We cover we cover. 13 states i mean our biggest states is new jersey pennsylvania massachusetts and new york especially long island as well and i came across here because it was a change for me and it's something i didn't the fact that i didn't even want to come to america like i never had any it was always australia for me because i've got a lot of friends and i've lived with australians because it's big at rugby in australia so i always had the chance and always had the feeling to yeah, i'll go play rugby in australia like i always wanted to do it and then I applied for this job spontaneously. Like I never thought anything of it. At first, I thought it was fake. Like I thought it was just a joke. White House Station. Yeah, what the hell is that? it's down uh, near PA, um, just on the twenty-two. Um, yeah, I so, know where it is. But. So I applied. <laughs> I applied for the job. We used to be based in Boundbrook in okay. Maiden, Maiden Lane, and this uh, myself was calling me because I was working for a company called the National Grid, which is actually funny. My first week here, there was a National Grid van. That's exactly the same company driving about. I was oh like, wow! I was like. What is the chances of that? Um, so, yeah, we're based there. So I got this call on my phone saying, "You've been. would you like an interview? We want to get you across to the States with your experience. And then I got the job and I came across in March and I was like, oh. <laughs> at first I was like, do I really need to do this? Yeah. And ever since then, I've grown in stature in the company. I mean, it's it's a fantastic company. We cover everything. Um, so what I, do you mean everything? We like? cover t-ball, across soccer, baseball, hockey, multi-sport programs. So like within towns or within recreation departments in towns. Okay. Um, I'm mainly based in Long Island, um, and it's fantastic because I think what I've been through in my life, I can transition. I coach a lot of soccer, so we have, but we coach everything because we get taught how to do. We have trainers. So that's and, so that's essentially what you're doing. You're coaching all sorts of sports. Yeah, it's like, like a, it's a big. We have different programs to different ages. So in the spring, we'll do a program for two, two and a half year olds to seven year olds, and then well, in the summer, we do back to the. I'm sure you went to them as a kid or the yeah, sports yeah, camps, camps or yeah. football camps, your soccer camps, and then in the fall and the spring as well, we have travel and recreation teams in soccer. Um, and I absolutely love it because I feel my life experience, I can transition into the kids and the parents of the children as well, such as like diet, because I never had it. And I'm sure you didn't really have it when you was eight and nine years old, somebody coming to you and saying, listen, you can take this further if you just change these little things, just even mention right. diets to parents, because 
it's not just for me coaching. It's I want to ask the kids, like I have 11 and 12 years, I want to say, how's your day been? What's your day been like? It's more of a mentor, not just a coach. It's more of a mentor position, you know? Yeah. And I just think if you can install confidence into a child, then... That'll take them... That'll take them further than what they think. Because I've got some kids that at the start of the program, for example, this fall I've been working in Bambrook, and I'll have some kids that didn't have much confidence at the start. Right. And at the end, they're, they're talking more. They're being more of the team. And to me, that's a progression. It doesn't have to. And be that'll translate into school. And exactly, yeah. and that'll translate, and that'll translate into life, hopefully. Right. Um, but I just think working for the USA and in the USA is a fantastic opportunity, and you've got fantastic facilities over here. I just, I just want to see more kids active in sport because yeah. I think it's a great social aspect. Uh, did you play any other sports growing up? Yeah, I played a lot of soccer growing up in school. But played, rugby was obviously your... your yeah, game. I mean, I got introduced to rugby from the age of... I was six years old. Um, my dad's friend was a former professional and he started a team and he got me involved and then my dad took me everywhere. So yeah. so you've been involved with sports, you know, for when you were in England 20, and also... 21 years, yeah. yeah. So what do you see the big difference between sports in England versus, or Europe versus the United States? I feel like in the United States there's too many... There's too many people, not should I say, there's, there's too much highlighting on what can go wrong than what can go right. I mean, take example football. Football's been played for f hundreds of years. Right. And all of a sudden, because a select minority get concussions and head like injuries. The CTE and stuff, And then yeah. everybody's putting everybody into this market and everybody's putting everybody into the same category. Yeah. Yeah. Children can't be bubble wrapped. And I feel like now kids are getting bubble wrapped and more and more and more than just go play like go and enjoy your childhood yeah and sometimes there's a bit too much pressure i've noticed compared to europe there's too much pressure on children playing every sport so they'll play basketball monday lacrosse tuesday hockey wednesday soccer on the weekend let the kid be a kid because i think too much emphasis on getting a scholarship there's right. too much pressure on the kids so do you think because i know a lot of people think that in the u.s it's too specialized like kids only play you know soccer they only play baseball or they only play one sport year round so you're saying that you don't see the same thing yeah we, we do we have specialized sport we have people specialized in the uk however i just feel like kids are pushed more into sport right with the actually, end goal with of, the, yeah with the end goal they're actually chosen to play sport it's not because they're doing it because they want to have fun they're doing it because yeah like, they're trying to save their parents you know Exactly, and we get a lot of kids. So the best thing about the company I work for is the three, two and a half to seven-year-old, we do a program, which is the multi-sport program, where for seven weeks they come for an hour a week and we cover hockey, lacrosse, basketball, t-ball, soccer, okay? We even do flag football and track and field. Cool. Now, to me, at that age, is fantastic because what good is it you get some parents out, push their kid into playing soccer. And the well, kid I played has, soccer, so then you're going to play soccer. The kid has no interest in soccer. But then when he gets to the T-ball aspect, his hand-eye coordination is absolutely fantastic. And he is hitting that ball out of the park. Right. So I just feel they need to take their time a little bit more and just let the kid try variety. Because just because he's not good at soccer doesn't mean he's not going to be good at track and field. And if he's not good at soccer, playing seven days a week soccer isn't might not make him better. And he's going to resent it, if anything. He's going, yeah. I don't want to play soccer anymore. Right. So just take. I think they should take their time off. But being in Europe, soccer's a lot bigger. Yeah, for sure. Over here, it seems football, 
numbers are dropping. Yeah. It, it seems like it's dropping now a lot now. You think? Yeah, it's got that way. My last fight, because soccer seems it's on the rise. Yeah, I would, I would it agree. Soccer is get next 10 years, but I do feel the Americans, you guys have got such a big field to start playing professional rugby because it is controlled. Tackling's controlled. You don't get head-eye shots. It's penalised. You can't come in from anywhere. There's n- there's nothing... Well, put it this way. There's hardly any padding. The ones you go out with is a gum guard. Right. That's all you need, a gum guard and cleats. Yeah, I wanted to ask you that too. So, like, where do you see the opportunity in American football to learn from the sport of rugby to make the game safer? You see, I, I don't I don't actually think that American football will ever change its aspects because if it changes its aspects to go like rugby, you might as well just play rugby. Yeah, it's you not might the as well same keep game, it yeah. how You might as well keep it how it is. Now, America has a lot wider variety. Guys here are athletic. Like, you get some absolute phenomenal athletes and I feel like some are wasted playing football because if you think how much they actually play with football considering the ad breaks and the, and the quarter length <laughs> right. playing rugby is 40 minutes straight 10-15 minutes break 40 minutes again straight I feel like you've got some fantastic athletes that could transition so well into playing Yeah. because even now you get some people go what sport do you play you're not really a soccer I says no I'm more rugby and they're like oh my god that's a crazy sport but it's a controlled sport. Now, in England, we have a saying, soccer is a gentleman's sport. No, what is it? Sorry. Uh, you made me think here. Oh, rugby's a, play, rugby's a thug sport played by gentlemen. It's a thug sport played by gentlemen. Yeah. And then soccer's the opposite. Because in soccer, you get a lot of hooliganism now. Okay. And there's a lot of violence that goes on. Rugby is a sport where you can battle the crap out of each other for 80 minutes straight. But right. at the end of the game, you'll be the first one I'll have a handshake with and a pint. Okay. And a nice and a drink after the game. Yeah. And such as the referee, for example, you've seen in soccer, players will crowd the referee. In rugby, you have to say, sir, only the captain's allowed to speak to the to referee. referee. And it's a lot more control within discipline. The last thing you want to do is get your team penalised and get them sent back 10 metres, which is the case. Yeah. So it is controlled, but I feel... Rugby should be on the rise in the next 10 years. US have got a lot better, especially at Rugby League. There's more teams coming up. And Rugby Union 7s. Um, it is definitely on the rise. Oh, yeah, Rugby 7s. Yeah. Fantastic sport. That's just So can you explain the difference? Yeah, Rugby 7s. So Rugby 7s generates from Rugby Union. Rugby Union is played with 15 men, whereas Rugby 7s is placed with 7 men. In the same Rugby Union, you have a scrum. I don't know if you know what a scrum is. It's okay. like where you uh, where you bind them lined up, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So everyone's like, like all locked in. Together. Yeah, so everyone, everyone just Google a scrum. So you'll get a better idea for this. <laughs> so you'll have your scrum, which is you get three at the front, two in the middle, one at the back. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Okay, and then you'll have two sides, which is flankers. Then in rugby sevens, it goes to three men and three men, and the other four are out in the wing, and it's just continuous all the way through. It's just a fast physical sport where it's basically all about handling and speed. Now. With does, American football, does that make it more dangerous? Or? No, it makes it it makes it more wide open because you're still playing on a field. The oh, it's the same field. size field. Exactly, same size field. So it's a test of fitness, grit, and determination, which is it can transition well. I mean, apparently a lot of guys who play football in college sometimes will go and try playing rugby in the off season. Yeah, and it's I think it's a great. I think it tra- translates well. Yeah, it does translate well. Um, I feel like both sports can learn from each other because. I forget the guy's name, but he was on. He plays for the Patriots. Yeah, 
he played, but he's like he started out being a rugby player before he started playing football. Yeah. But you do you get a lot of that. Um, but every, every sport's got its place. No, don't take it from football. Football to me is a phenomenal sport still, because you do get some of the biggest athletes I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, hey, I agree. Like, you know, football obviously, like you said, it, it, the concussion things and the injuries are being highlighted at this point in time. But like you said, like people have been playing for how long? Like. 50, 60 years plus that, like, you know, almost 100 years. So, like, the game has evolved the way it has for a reason. Like, people say, you know, how rugby doesn't have helmets. You know, take the helmet out of football. Oh, no, you can wear a helmet. It's not a helmet like a football helmet. It's just, like, basically might as well be polystyrene. Yeah, I've seen them. Yeah, they're yeah. nothing. It's um, more like uh, to protect you from, like, lacerations or something. Yeah. yeah. And if you're in the scrum, it's potentially from getting cauliflower ears when your ears come in. Right, right. That's all it's for. Um but like you were saying, you can transition from both, but you can you can get concussion doing anything. You can walk into a lamppost, for example. Right. Right. I guess the thing with football is like the point of the game is to hit people. So like every yeah. every play you're lining up and you're hitting someone, you know, I think that's but you can't change that. That's what football is. If you change that, then it's not football anymore. Exactly. It's yeah, not football. So what, would you, what would you do then? Exactly. You if you don't like it, don't play, I guess. So. That's, the, that's the thing. Yeah. If you're going to complain about it, do something else. But it's just the fact that there's there's loads of more sports science these days, which is going on about concussion and hearsight. And even in England now, or the UK, should I say, because I'm from England, so I'm a bit biased towards it because I'm not actually. Um, they're trying to take the tackling from schools out of rugby. So trying, you can't tackle in schools. So what do you do? Like, to me, that's ludicrous. How's that? in touch or? How's that? You know, we do have a touch rugby or a flag rugby, like flag football. Yeah. But to me, how are you going to teach a child to be able to take a hit and give a hit back and actually play the sport how it's meant to play if you're going to take away the main aspect of the sport? Right. I just don't get it. And I feel there's too many people having too many says. Just let the kids play the sport. Just let people play the sport that they've been brought up playing. Right. You know? It's it's a complicated issue, I guess. But yeah. But it's like baseball, for example. For instance, if a pitcher, if a ball hits you in the face at nine miles an hour. Right. You haven't got a face guard. Girls lacrosse, they don't wear helmets. They just wear goggles. Well, I actually just did an interview with uh, Cascade Lacrosse. Yeah. And they came out with a women's helmet. Have they really now? Yeah, it's like a, a soft shell. Yeah. So it's optional right now. So it has like built-in goggles. It's an open face, you know, other than the goggle part. But And then there's the helmet, but it's a soft shell helmet. So say you collided heads with someone who wasn't wearing a helmet, you're not going to like further injure that person. You know? Yeah. So that's, that's a great idea because to me that's a bit that's strange. Uh these guys, like I've been to watch lacrosse. Yeah. I work in Garden City, which is one of the biggest lacrosse towns. Um, and when I see the girls not wearing lacrosse, even the guys, like they've had to change the lacrosse helmet, haven't they? Because the ball's gone through it before. But to have a to have a face to not have a face mask on a girl's helmet, then they're kind of only yeah. doing. What, why? But that was one of my questions too. Like when I when I was interviewing um, this girl, I asked why they didn't make the face mask a full face mask for the helmet, and it went back to. The fact that it's an optional piece of equipment. So, like, if you put a full face, you know, mask on the helmet, you're going to put other people at risk who might not be wearing the helmet. Well, it should be made compulsory, surely. Yeah, but there's, like, then you're you're preventing, you're making barriers to participation if you do that. 
like depends it's how safe you want to be. It's a hundred fifty dollar helmet. So then you're saying to kids who don't have the money to buy a helmet that you can't play, basically. That's ridiculous. I know a kid this year that couldn't play football because his helmet was too tight on his head, bless him. So he couldn't play football for his team. What, you said like a really big head, or <laughs> he was a big guy. He <laughs> was a huge guy, and his head his head was too big for the helmet, and he was oh. quite, and he couldn't get used to it, so he couldn't play football anymore oh. because of regulation signs. Yeah, it's it comes to a case though, doesn't it, Kev? When where do you stop? Like where is yeah, the yeah, sto- exactly. where is the stop line? Yeah, they're trying to improve it, but then sometimes I feel like they're going two steps forward and four steps back. Yeah, I guess the part where I get like pissed off when I watch football is. Guys who like blatantly try to hurt people, you know what I mean? Thugs. Yeah. So, can you talk about what that's like in rugby? Like, is that is there? It is ninety nine percent of people don't go out to hurt somebody. Right. I don't. I wouldn't say that in the NFL that I, I'd say it's more than just a one percent who like tried to do that. I mean, you get the odd few people that will stamp on somebody or gouge your eye or right. You know, just being a man, just trying to get away with it or a cheek or an elbow. Right. But to be honest, you don't really get it because you're beating the crap out of each other for 80 minutes. Like, say you're number 12 on the field. I'm number 12. I want to come off that field knowing I've been the best number 12 off that field and I'm going to kick your ass. Right. Like, I know I don't want you to get past me ever. Like That's just the mentality you have. It's just the fact that you're not going out there to hurt somebody. You're going out there to do the best for your team and just right. play the best you can be. And that's the part that's frustrating to me. It's like you're going out here and you're trying to, like, hurt your opponent, like, that's this guy's livelihood. Like, he makes money doing this. Yeah. He's like, and he could easily do the same exact thing to you. Yeah. You Controlled I mean? aggression, that's what it is. Yeah. He, that's the fact of it. Control, because I've never known one player to go out and hurt another player. I mean, I've been in tackles before where a player's ankles broke underneath me. That's just because his ankle's in the wrong t- wrong place. Like, I'm right. going down with a guy. Yeah, you didn't do it My body purpose. weight's on his ankle. Yeah. And I feel so apologetic towards that guy yeah. because he can't do something he loves. And coming from me, yeah. something I've loved and I've, and I've taken and it you've away. And I've lost too. And I've lost. Yeah. That's a big thing. Yeah. Like, I don't, nobody wants to go out and hurt anybody. Right. It's just, it's just the be all or end all, really. And the players that want to do that, then they really need to take a look at themselves. Going to the UFC or something. Yeah. And that's hard for me to watch. Do you <laughs> like watching that stuff? Oh, I went to watch McGregor fight. What'd you, so, you, so you like it's like hard for me to watch especially like having a brain injury and stuff I'm like I don't, uh, I don't mind it those guys get their freaking asses I kicked. don't mind it but in the day I take my hat off to them like, they're tough son of a bitches yeah like they're, they've got a screw loose as well so what do you th- I, I, I'm like obsessed with this like toughness idea so like what do you think toughness is like what is toughness to you uh, picking yourself up going past that barrier so for instance Going past that barrier of thinking you can't push past anymore, you can't do anymore, and going past that barrier. So is it physical or is it mental? Well, to me, that's a physical and mental attribute because if you can mentally push your body physically to go past that barrier, then you've already covered the mental and physical aspect of it. Right. Um, I'm just thinking like, because I think back to my injury and I think a lot of it, the severity of it, because I play with a concussion and then because I play with that concussion, I pretty much almost died. So... And it was all because I was trying to be tough. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't say that I was hurt because I didn't want people to think less of me or to think that I was, like, being a sissy or something. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I get what I get what you mean, but I just feel there's, there's stupidity. And then yeah, there's that's, sen- that's more And it, then yeah. there's being sensible. And I just feel like 
as I'm sure you'll agree, as you've gone over, you, you don't give a, you basically don't give a shit what most people say. If someone's calling you a sissy, let them call you a sissy. End of the day, that's your body. Like, right. You have you have it the rest of your life. Exactly. Yeah. So let let people have yeah, the, the too people many people have too much say in something in your life that goes on. Right. When you you need to take control and do things to your best. Like when you're a kid, for example, you want to climb the highest tree. You'll do anything when you're a kid. You'll jump off the highest wall. Now, I'm like, nah, yeah. fuck that. I'm yeah. not doing you, mate. You can do that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a right pussy when it comes down to it on something. <laughs> we, we, I don't I don't like heights or anything. When I was a kid, I'd go straight up that cliff. Now. These guys that jump off the cliff in your tombstone, you're not tombstone in this, right? Yeah, yeah. They'll jump off these huge cliffs into ocean deep water, and oh my, fr- and I'll be like, Nah, mate, you're on your own on this one. Like, yeah, I'll just stand, I'll, I'll stand over there. It's it's interesting. Like, I I hope that there's like young athletes who listen to this and to, you know, and realize like the people that you're trying to impress or trying to think that you're tough or whatever, like. They're not going to care ever. Like, you're the one who has to live with your body for the rest of your life. Like, exactly. They don't care if your knee's messed up. They don't care if your brain's messed up. They don't – because they're not living it. You know, like, it's – I don't know. Well, I was I was once told um, by a wise woman, nobody can ever walk in your shoes. Right. And it's true. Nobody can walk in – the decisions you make are the decisions you've making for yourself, not for somebody else. Because the reason why I do things – because I do them for me and I know why I do them but for somebody to criticise why I do it then that's their problem but it's like you, you're going back on what you just said the fact that that person doesn't care if you've got a messed up knee or you've messed your head up but how about that person goes into your shoes and does what exactly what you're doing let's see how they come out of it let's see if they actually do it in the first right. place as a coach as well if I can't do something why would I tell somebody else to do something Right, because you're the example. I don't want you to go something I can't do. So if I say to you, Kev, go run me a mile in six thirty, and I can't run a mile in six thirty, then who am I really to tell you? Right. Because the mentality I've got into is, if I can't beat myself, then I don't really want to think I can beat anybody. Because yeah. that in this, that's a switch for me. That spurs me, even if it's a millisecond. Then yeah, I beat that record. So yeah, so you're obviously a coach, right? So you that's yeah, we coach your a lot. job, right? So in, in a lot of cases, I guess. So do you like go around and coach different teams, or so is I'll, that not really your job? No, nah, part of my job is coaching. Like in the company, it is com- basically compulsory to coach um, because we are such a big organization. We do have a lot of clients, and we do have a lot of soccer programs. So they need us to be. The company needs us to be on the field. Now, I, I love it. Like, I, I actually love it because the interaction you get and seeing a kid progress all the way through from not being able to kick a ball properly to the end of the 10 weeks and he's dribbling around the park like me at Messi. Right, right. <laughs> You're loving it. Like, you are loving it. Yeah, because you help them. Yeah. And you, you've seen them progress and their confidence has improved. Right. Um, but I'll just, in the summer, I work in, obviously, Garden City, like I mentioned before. And for the past five years, I've seen kids come from the three-year-old program all the way into the older kid program right and to be able to install little things to them is great because i think if i had these as a kid then maybe i would have turned out a lot better than right what i've turned out now do you say anything to them like in terms of like taking care of their bodies and stuff like that absolutely absolutely like, so what Abs- kind of advice do you give them absolutely i, I just don't stop there stop talk to the parents as well um because sometimes when there's like a one of the 
programs we do. There's a snack bar and it's just full of crap food, full of processed food. And I'll say to the parents, to say, because oh, I'll ask me, they'll say, are they going to be able to get, I says, yeah, but I'd rather you just make them a nice, healthy, pat lunch, even if it's just a, two sam three sandwiches like make them a sandwich put some fruit in there put some carrots in there because that fuel is going to fuel them all day they're in 90 to 100 degree heat the whole summer yeah kids come with water for example they'll come from little bottles of water i tell them at the start come with a gallon and i'll be drinking a gallon on the field they'll be like coach matt you drink a gallon and i'm like i tell you to exactly <laughs> hydration from lack of hydration your you performance can decrease by what is it 20 percent they say yeah, it's something, something like ridiculous. That, yeah. But even kids, I've had kids come and I'll ask every kid in the morning and I'll say, what have you had for breakfast today? What have you had for breakfast today? What are you having for your lunch today? What did you have for your dinner last night? Because I'm interested in what they're eating. Yeah. Because. Yeah, there's too so many bad options out there. Oh, absolutely. I get kids sometimes come like a cold McDonald's or something. And I'm just like, nah, we're not, <laughs> we're not doing that here. Like, I can't obviously tell them what to bring and stuff, right. but I can advise them what to bring and what not to bring and the programs to do and how to improve athletic performance because I feel if you're going to put a kid in programs all the time, then surely you need to get his diet right outside of this so the kid can actually perform like basically you want him to perform right. to the best of his ability or her ability. So I just feel by asking him and getting deep inside, like, I'll have a kid go to me, I had waffles and sausages for breakfast. I'll be like, how about we try oatmeal? Oatmeal and some blueberries. How about that? And a little bit of honey. And then they'll go away and try it. And then they'll cook. But the kids have been coming to me saying, oh, I've been trying oatmeal and I don't really like oatmeal. So why don't you sort of like eggs or something? Like make yourself some scrambled egg or an omelette in the morning. Right. It takes five minutes, five minutes of your time. And they're like, okay, okay. So kids are improvising yeah, and they're, learning. Yeah, they're, they're uh, what is the word? Receptive. Yeah. Because yeah. they're kind of stuck in the ways. But then the but you do get a lot of parents approach you for advice and what to do and what to have and stuff. Yes, yeah, so you, you got a big influence in, in your in well, your job, on especially. And it's not just to me coaching, like I said to you. It's more of a I want to know what the, I want to know if kids having problems. Like I'll have a kid and I'll say, "How is everything? Is everything all right? Like, how are your grades doing? How what's going on at school?" And one kid came up to me this year and I says, "What?" Because he looked at me down. I says, "What's the matter, Chris?" Because oh, I'm just having some problems at home. I goes, well, sometimes it's good to speak about it. And it's not just you speaking. Like, look at me as an outside person. Right. Like, I'll always be there for you. If you need to talk, come and talk to me. Yeah, not just soccer. Yeah, or it's not just it is, soccer. Yeah. Because we recently had a presentation, the last one of the year. And I had all three teams. So I was coaching first and second grade, fourth and fifth, seventh and eighth. And as soon as you walk in, the kids are like, they're coming up to giving you a hug. And parents are shaking your hand and stuff. Right. And they're wanting to sit with you all the time. And you're like five and six year old asking to go around for a play date. I'm like, listen, we'll stop there. Yeah. But that's that's what they you like can, you that much. Exactly. That they and hang out with and you. they want you to come back and to have that warm feeling that yeah, you're doing something right. But it's not a fact that I'm doing something right. It's a fact that you're treating them like they're meant to be treated. You're not treating them like you're shouting at them and screaming like you be more interested than what you should be. Right. And to me, going and doing a little bit more is better than doing a little bit less and just treating it like, oh, I've got a soccer session for an hour. Right. Nah, interaction's a big thing. And if you can install the seeds early on, then I think they're going to prevail through life. They're going to get a lot more out of it than what they would normally. Yeah. So it's great. I think it's great. Awesome. Uh, 
So where, when did you get involved with CrossFit? Like when did you find CrossFit? CrossFit? This is this is a long one. Um, 2010. Um, my friend Scott, he's seen it online because I've always done Olympic lifting with rugby because we oh, okay. have strength and conditioners. I mean, I had a fantastic conditioner, fantastic, called Mark Laws. He's one of the most, he's probably really well known in the UK. And he came across as an intern to the club and we're still friends now. Um, and he was fantastic. So he like taught you how to do cleans. Everything, and stuff, yeah. everything. He, he's a freak himself. Like he'd sit on two yoga balls, jump up, he'd do low, his core coordination. And for the size of him, he, he was fantastic. Mark Laws and Kevin Till as well. And they really helped me advance and make me become. But then I was always into going to the gym, doing a little bit of bench, a bit of biceps. You know, everyone's been yeah, there. Yeah, everyone's like, yeah, you need the biceps. Yeah, girl. curls for the girls, all that. Yeah, <laughs> I still do those. I'll, I'll let you off on that one. <laughs> um, so then my friend Scott, he he saw it online, 2010. And he's like, I'm going to give this a try. So he came into the gym and it's an old, we call it a spit and sawdust gym. You know, like an old gym, there's no yeah. AC. It's freezing in the winter. It's boiling hot in the summer. It's dirty, it's grimy, but perfect. everybody's yeah. in there and it's perfect. Absolutely perfect. You don't get a shower in there because they're not going to come out with one of them gyms. <laughs> so you, you go in and he was doing this workout and he's like, oh, come try it because you'll enjoy it. And so we started doing it and like, you're starting to get a bit of funny looks from old school guys. I'm like, what are these guys doing? They're cheating, they're doing this, they're doing that. No bicep curls. Exactly. <laughs> what do you mean they bench press? So for everybody else, I hate the bench press. It's so boring. Yeah. It's a boring exercise. I, being a football guy, I love bench. Yeah, we had to do it, I love but bench. I still think it's boring. All right, whatever, Matt. Exactly. <laughs> so, we all to their own, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, we did that, and the first workout I did, it, it was like, I think it was five five deadlifts at, well, we say 120 kilos, so what's that? Like, 240 pounds. So, we'll That's double heavy. it. Pretty heavy. Yeah. And it was five deadlifts, 10 burpees, five rounds at a time. And that workout kicked my ass. And must have, it was like just over three minutes. And from that day, I was like, oh, shit, man. Yeah. This is good shit. So he set, we set up in his garage. Like He built his own pull-up bar in the garage. We all pitched in, say, 50 bucks and bought equipment. And we do it in his garage. And we there was a Manchester Games in 2010, uh, Central England. And we just thought, oh, we'll go for it for a crack. And it was great. Like There's not many people. There's like 100 people there. And now it pulls in like a thousand people. So we just started doing it. And like we kept doing it and doing it and doing it, going to his house and doing it. And then in 2011, we, a warehouse unit, I'm not sure what you call it over here. A warehouse unit? Yeah, so like a, a unit, like oof, like an office block. So like yeah, a block yeah, of offices, yeah, okay, like yeah. an industrial estate. Yeah, it's industrial called, park yeah. or something, yeah. So we actually went in. 10 of us on an industrial unit. Oh, to open so, a gym? Not to open it, just for ourselves. Oh, okay. Just so we could go there and it'd be a social aspect. I mean, we had a nice little kitchen, we had a microwave. Oh, that's cool. And we built a pull-up bar. Um, we got loads of equipment in, just did it ourselves. And it's, and that started taking off. So we did that. So we did, I did that for seven months. And then I got a job in America. So I came over to America and when I came over, I wasn't earning like, the money was terrible. Well, it wasn't terrible. It's was like first year money and CrossFit at the time was like hundred. Expensive, yeah. Expensive. So I was just in Planet Fitness and Retro Fitness, like doing, doing my CrossFit stuff. Doing my CrossFit stuff. My the alarm alarm going off. Oh yeah, too many people staring at you with the tight vests on and tight shorts. You know, <laughs> you know how it is with a lunk alarm. 
and there wasn't even a barbell in there because Planet Fitness judgment free zone. Right, right. On that. Um, so well, you don't have to worry about the bench in there, I guess. Then yeah, didn't have to. Worry. No, it's a Smith machine, so it was kind of cheating. It wasn't <laughs> the same. Um, so I just started doing little, still doing workouts there, or I'd do a workout at home, just skipping burpees because you can do the workouts anywhere. It depends what time you've got. Yeah. So then I ventured into it for a bit. Then I just started going back into body part splits and a lot of running and rowing, etc. And then I joined CrossFit two, I think. It's 732 in Branchburg. I was part of the Snap Fitness there. And with a Snap Fitness membership, you got free to use the box next door. Oh, cool. So I'd use the box next door. And then I came back, uh, when I came back to the States, especially this year, I joined CrossFit Garden City because one of the owners, not the owners, one of the members, Belki, um, she owns a paleo food company called Belki's Bites. Oh. She's fueled me, sponsored me for the whole of this summer. Oh, that's awesome. Because all the kids come to the program, she used to bring me all food, paleo for oh, that's perfect so including my own meal prep i'd have more meal prep so i'd be eating like a king and fuel him yeah and i'd join crossfit garden city which has got uh mike hearn who's just came second in the world in the 40 to 44s as a coach wow um and jennifer marshall she competed at the games with carrie ann okay cool, yeah. all level four coaches dennis marshall her husband un he's a scientist with programming his programming is is absolutely key to detail. Um, and Mike Volpe, he's a coach. His kids come to the programs as well. As well as the other coaches, I mean, Rob Carson, he's my rowing coach. He has brought my rowing up, and he's not just a... Like, the community there was fantastic. The program was so fantastic. Yeah, how did they... Or how did CrossFit kind of help you in your transition from rugby? The I wouldn't say it's a competitive nature. It's the beating your body as much as you can beat it, and like we discussed earlier pushing yourself mentally and physically when you cannot go some more. So what was it? So, so that's something that I feel like a lot of athletes like miss when they don't have the sport anymore. It's that feeling of like, yeah, pushing yourself that like, yeah, you want to quit, but you, you know, you keep going. Stubborn. Yeah. And that, and that's a fact, like some of the workouts we had to do was most of them are brutal um, because they're only brutal because you give as much as you can get. But working at Garden City um, with these coaches that are level four, they do the seminars around there. I, I was blessed to compete. There's some athletes in there, like there's a guy called Chris. He's he's a phenomenal athlete. Like everybody's there for a purpose, and everyone's got each other's back. Like you might be the last one to work out, but nobody will put their weights away until you have finished. They will crowd around you. And they would say, well, right, bring that, that kind of you team. couldn't, yeah, you couldn't get that in a mainstream gym. I yeah. wouldn't get, uh, see, not for, I'm not going to put them in the category that they're all the same, but you wouldn't get like a bodybuilders, for example, all crowding around each other saying, come on, you got this. Yeah. Not like CrossFit. One more curl. Exactly. Not <laughs> like CrossFit. I do love curls though. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I, I don't mind a curl or a dip now and again. Um, but there's some coach, like the coaches there, they really brought me on and there's a guy called Mario. And, like sometimes I'd be a bit sloppy in some uh, lifts and etc., and he'd be on at me all the time. He'd be giving me shit all the time, like saying you could be doing this, you need to do this. You know, I'd be like, shut the fuck up, <laughs> dude, just give me a break. Um, but it's funny because then I moved back to New Jersey to Gladstone in the sp- in the September to go back into the office because that's because I go right. cause I coordinate all Long Island, so I go back to the office in New Jersey. And I uh, I went over to CrossFit Garden City recently, and it was a clean workout and running. 
um, and he was taking the class, and he goes, damn, don't know what you've been doing, but your cleans are great, <laughs> um, and that to me has been a progression, because I've come to CrossFit Morristown, which I was recommended by, yep. by Jennifer and Dennis, um, and some of the coaches at CrossFit Morristown have actually been taught by Jennifer and Dennis, Oh, cool! it's, it's crazy how it worked out, and Carrie Ann and Bill's programming has been fantastic, and the community that is CrossFit Morristown is I'm sure you'll agree is yeah the coaches great. are great and it's and I think that's what's what's good for athletes like I I found CrossFit after I couldn't play football anymore too and I mean obviously I've gotten hurt doing CrossFit but that was also because I kind of kept the same mentality that I did when I was, was playing with the e- brain was that, was that an ego mentality exactly yeah yeah that's what it is but if you go in there trying to be the biggest strongest fastest person in there like you're probably gonna get hurt but if you go in there just looking to have fun and be a part of the community and stuff like that. Like you'll still get those same team aspects, you know, that yeah, you get yeah, I completely when you're playing agree. sports. Um, and when, when you're going back to things like lifting, that's the best thing about CrossFit and the best thing about playing professional sports is you are not the best. There's always somebody better than you individually at something small, whether it's somebody better than me at doing the SAQ work on the ladder, whether it's the best person doing a muscle up, whether it's the best person doing double unders, you always have your niche, but there's always somebody else to it's aim better, at and pace yeah, yeah. and buy. Yeah. It's like when Bill's in a workout with me, I'll always try, and me and Bill, to try and pace with Bill because to me, he's an elite athlete right. at Morristown. It's the same with Tom, it's the same with that. And Carrie Ann, to listen to Carrie Ann, she, she loves to scream in your face. <laughs> and I'm just like, and I'm there, I get in this mind, I'm sure you do as well, yeah. where you actually go empty in the head. Well, yeah, he's kind of shut get, it down. And that is an attribute which I don't think you can install. It has, you have to build that mentally where you can just stop and you can keep going. So sometimes there'll be music playing and I'll just be singing to the music, not giving a shit of care anymore. I'm just going, yeah, this is all right. Let's <laughs> keep going. Let's keep going. Unless she's there screaming in the background. I'm like, God, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're interrupting me, Karen. But yeah, CrossFit has brought... A new dimension. I feel like I'm the fittest I've been since I was playing. Cool. If not fitter, um, just because the endurance and the variety it brings, to the palate it brings to the plate. Awesome. And it's fantastic. Cool. Yeah. So I, I recommend that for athletes who are having a hard time not playing sports anymore. It would it would take you away from conventional gyms. Um, and you might people look at it sometimes it's a bit more expensive however the coaching exactly and the attention to detail you're that paying you get, for something yeah and you're actually paying for coaching you're not going to pt who's i mean i'm fully qualified in personal training but i don't want to be a personal trainer i just did it when i was playing rugby you get a lot of pts i'm sure you'll agree that will not give you a tailored program towards yourself right, it's like put, a cookie cutter well, exactly yeah. why is a bicep curl adequate towards yourself CrossFit covers a nine. Unless your goal is to have big arms. Exactly, but CrossFit (laughs) covers the nine functional movements of the human body. Right. And it like the other day there was a seminar at Morristown which was all about diet. Some of the stuff that Carrie Ann was playing, you'd be playing a personal trainer, hundred bucks. Yeah, she's handed this to you. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's there's plenty more value than you're making out on the deal with with CrossFit and paying for that. Just give it a try for a month. Yeah. If you can afford it go for it I'll vouch it to anybody but again it's not just CrossFit you'll be doing you do have access to a dumbbell if yeah. you still want because there is room for accessory work so you will do your bent over rows you will do your pull ups you will do your bicep curls you will do your zercher press like you still can do that right but transition it into something else yeah. which I feel is going to benefit yourself 
for sure. Um, all right, as we kind of wind this interview uh, up, um, right, I guess down, wind it down. Whichever way End you it. want. Yeah, whatever. You can do whatever you uh, want. <laughs> so what advice do you have for athletes who suffer career-ending injuries? To turn the negatives into a positive. Um, right. To think you're still alive, you're still breathing, there's a lot more people worse off than you. To give everything you've got every day and work, not work through what you've got because like me, I've had to work around with my, I wouldn't say disability, but my injuries such as, for instance, a double under. I can't consecutively do bounces, so I'll have to do one double under bounce, double under bounce, double under bounce. Right. But I've picked up a pace now where I can carry that on for a certain period of time. So just work around with what you've got and don't let frustration get the better of your positiveness because being positive can impact a lot more people than what you think because, hold on a minute, maybe you can't do something you should be able to do. But people will look at you more in an instance for saying, he's positive about this, he's working around it, and he's doing something else that I never thought he could do. And to me... That's a fantastic a trait to have is in your personality. Yeah. To transition to something else. Like like I mentioned earlier, my dad died this year on Father's Day. And that was the biggest surprise. He's my best friend. Um, and a lot of other things went off as well, like relationships, etc. And I've managed to transition every negative thought I've had. And there'll be days where I'm, I am down. And I've put them into my training and I've become a better... I believe... I've become a better person by doing this this year and coming across and coming back and transitioning my training and my energy and my frustration into it. And I'll go home a better person because there's nothing like looking in the mirror every day and I'm sure you'll agree thinking, why, what if, this, that. Yeah. I do feel I've become a better person from life experience. And you got to go through shit to come out smelling the roses. <laughs> That's what we say. Exactly. You I like do, that. You've got to do it. Um, cause like we said all along, the caption of the day, nobody's going to do it for you. For sure. And it's all right sitting there sulking and glum. But listen, if you've, especially these guys, I've got kids to support and families. So like when you have a negative thought in your head, like do you, you like address it? Like how, how do you kind of, uh, handle that? I train. So, so you're saying that you use it like physically, like a physical outlet yeah, a helps physical, you kind Like of if it wasn't for CrossFit in the gym. Like, I'm a big thinker. So, like, when you're at the gym, are you thinking of that negative thought or, like... How I'm do thinking, you... fuck, I'm going to smash this today. All right. And that will ease me off because if I think too much, I'm sure you'll agree from playing sports, you can overthink things sometimes to drive yourself mentally right. crazy. But at the same time, sometimes you could use whatever it is and use it as fuel to push you... But that's what... That's like, like I mentioned, like, I do. I think of past happenings and I'm thinking, come on, do it for dad. Come on, do it for this reason. Do it for that reason. You've still got it. Or I can hear my coach in my head saying, you chose the sport. And that, right. that still, to this day, pushes me on. Or Coach Carson, he's always like, steady in, steady in. And I'll just take a moment and try and breeze through it as best I can. Yeah, so I think that's a good way to end it. If you're an athlete out there who may have suffered a season-ending injury, another, you know, or whatever kind of life yeah. obstacle, um, I think that's a, a good way to handle those 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 emotions and uh matt thanks for taking time on it's, your, it's your weekend pleasure. to it's, it's uh, a pleasure come uh, on the podcast and share your tale and i really think what you're doing is very beneficiary towards athletes and it's not just athletes you branch out to it's an everyday person an average joe anybody yeah i'd like to relate to those people too anybody sure. you can 
just think somebody always worse off than you. Yeah. And you've got to go through shit because life's not about plain sailing. It's about getting kicked to the ground. It'd be boring if it wasn't almost. Oh, <laughs> it would be robots. Yeah. But it's about, like we mentioned earlier when it was before this, it's the fact that you've got to get kicked to the ground and kicked again to get back up and get your focus back on and just br tell life to bring it on. Yep. You know? Because if you can get up and dust yourself down and carry on, then it shows a lot of character in yourself. For sure. All right. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it's it, It's a man. pleasure. Take care. <laughs>